you'd turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 5, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 5. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 5. The apostle writes to the church under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. May he write his eternal truths on our heart this morning. Father, we praise your name for your word. God, I pray for these next few minutes as we open your word that, God, you would give us eyes to see. Father, I pray that we myself included, would be able to lay aside every care of this world, every, every issue going on, every, every worry, every, just everything that would keep us from seeing Christ, remove them from our minds in these next few minutes. God, I pray if I would say anything unprofitable or, or, or unhelpful to these people, God, that you would remove it from their ears until only your perfect truth remain. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You must believe the testimony that Jesus is the Christ if you are to have eternal life. You must hear this message today because the world will pressure you to deny this truth. Because the world will pressure you to compromise to reverse this verdict in your heart that Jesus is the Christ and to believe this testimony that has been given. Guys like Richard Rohr and Rob Bell claim that Christianity is just one way among many. Guys like Bill Johnson and Todd White will distort the gospel with New Age garbage. We saw that Thomas Jefferson would empty the cross of its power and reduce Christianity to a set of morals. Secular counselors would deny the sufficiency of God's word and state that soul care is better left to the atheist psychologists. They know better than God's word. And the false teachers that John is refuting in this letter denied the atoning significance of Jesus' death. 
It's the whole reason he's writing the letter. And today's passage could be argued to be the pinnacle passage of this book. And against the railings of an unbelieving world, both in John's day and in our days, we have the sure and steadfast testimony about Jesus Christ, and it is found in God's Word. As we talked about this morning in equipping hours, as I mentioned, one of the, the foundational creeds of the Christian faith has always been where the Bible speaks, God speaks. And God's testimony this morning is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Messiah. And it is paramount this morning that you believe the testimony John presents us with concerning Jesus Christ if you would have eternal life. So friends, this message, this this text this morning is of utmost importance, more important than anything that you or I have going on outside of these walls. And today's passage presents us with three reasons you must believe the testimony concerning Jesus Christ. Belief in this testimony means affirming truth presented by three witnesses. Belief in this testimony means you will have the testimony of God within you. And belief in this testimony means eternal life. As we continue our study of 1 John, we know that John is writing in the wake of false teachers leaving the church. And he is writing to remind them of the basics of Christianity. And the illustration we have used is that of a marksman. John is helping us to sight in our rifle to cite in our understanding of the Christian faith. You see, a marksman is not happy to fire to the left of the target as long as he doesn't fire to the right. A marksman is not content to shoot over the target as long as his bullet doesn't land in the dart. But his purpose is to hit the bullseye. And John tells us that genuine Christians believe truth, that they pursue holiness, and they love the church. They love God's people. Those are the three major themes of this letter. And last week we read that all those who have been born of God love him and they obey his commands. And there's no such thing as a genuine Christian that does not want to serve, obey, and love God. And in this week's passage, we find that Jesus is the Christ and we must believe it. John shows us the importance of believing the testimony concerning Christ. A few weeks ago in our small group, we, were, we did a lesson on how to read your Bible. And in that, one of the, the things we should look for in ancient literature is repetition of words. And the word testimony or witness is used eight times in this passage alone. And the word belief is used four. And so we should pay attention to those words because they will help guide our understanding of what John is saying. And the first thing we see is that belief in this testimony means affirming the truth presented by three witnesses. Look with me at verses 5 through 6. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. We'll stop right there. Water, 
blood. What in the world is John talking about? This is the most troublesome to understand passage in the whole letter. As a matter of fact, uh, the folks that uh, fold our bulletins for us, I wasn't able to get them to them at the normal time this week because I had to take extra time to, to really study and find out what John's talking about here. And the best way to explain John's logic is to look back at our study in Mark. Now, for those of you who are here, you might remember Mark. Uh, we started it last year and ended it about August of last year. And Mark has these things called Markin sandwiches, or the official name is an inclusio. And it's an ancient literary technique where the writer takes two stories which seemingly don't go together and puts them together to help us understand the one that doesn't seem like it goes. For instance, we see Jesus cursing a fig tree in, in Mark's gospel. And so he comes to this fig tree, and this fig tree is not bearing any fruit, and so he curses it. And then he goes into the temple, and he cleanses the temple, and then he comes back, and we talk about the fig tree some more, and the fig tree is withered and dead. And for us as Americans who like things linear, like we like this happened on February 1st and then February 2nd, we may gloss over what the writer is doing there. But he is showing us what Jesus did in the temple with the story of the fig tree. You see, it's not just he did this, then he did this, and then he did this. But just as the fig tree did not bear fruit and was cursed, so Christ cursed the religious leaders and that system of the day. So why do I say all that? Well, because the entire gospel of Mark is sort of a Markin sandwich. The entire letter. At the very first of the letter, we have the story of Jesus' baptism. And when you read it, the Greek word there is a violent renting, right? So at the baptism, we see that the heavens are rented. They are ripped open. And then we have this voice from heaven declare that Jesus is the Son of God. But then we fast forward to the end of the book. And what do we see? The same Greek word is used, and we see that the temple veil that separates man from God is violently rent open, and a pagan centurion declares, surely this is the Son of God. At the beginning of the book, and at the end of the book, we have this dramatic story, and both of them, Jesus is declared, or witnessed, or testified to be God. The entire story of Mark is bookended by these two events where Jesus is declared the Son of God. His baptism, water. His crucifixion, his blood. Both his baptism and his crucifixion declare that he is God. John is stating that both Jesus' baptism and his death testify to the fact that he is the foretold Messiah or the Christ. But yet, there's another, the Spirit, Look with me at the end of verse 6 where we left off. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So John writes that the Spirit himself declares this truth. We see it in his uh, prayer in John. He says that the Holy Spirit will lead them into truth. In the upper room before his arrest, Jesus tells the disciple that when he leaves, the Spirit will come upon them. And what will he do? He will lead them into all truth. We read in the New Testament that one of the Holy Spirit's role is to bear witness to the truth. Colin Cruz says that in the fourth gospel, the Spirit's testifying role is mainly bearing witness 
to Jesus in light of attacks from the world. And here John reminds his readers that Jesus' baptism, his death, and the Holy Spirit, all three of them, testify to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. Look with me at verses 7 through 8. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So why three? Why these three? Well, in the ancient context, you needed two to three witnesses to prove a point. So John, in this ancient context, gives us those three witnesses. Jesus' baptism, his crucifixion, and the Spirit. But we know from out the New Testament that there are more than just three witnesses. I mean, Paul tells us that the risen Christ appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. But John is fulfilling this Old Testament, this ancient requirement of three witnesses. And he writes that the Holy Spirit and these two events are in agreement. Only the one who believes this testimony will overcome the world. And this person that believes it has this testimony within him. So the second thing we see is that belief in this testimony means you will have the testimony of God within you. Look with me at verses 9 through 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So in other words, John is arguing, friends, if we will believe the testimony of two to three men, why would we not believe the testimony of God? God the Father testified to the Son in audible voice at his baptism. John testified to the person work of Christ at his death when he raised him from the dead. It's been said that Jesus' raising from the dead is the Father's amen to his work on the cross. And God testifies to Christ through this Holy Spirit that is within us this morning. Remember, one of the things that we have learned from all the New Testament is that there is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you here this morning that's genuinely a Christian is sealed or marked by the indwelling Holy Spirit. There are no classes of Christians where some of us have the Spirit and some don't. There is no situation where someone who is genuinely a Christian loses the Spirit for a time, and then he comes back when you stop messing up, but he is permanently within you, sanctifying you, and conforming you to the image of Christ. And we see here that the Spirit within us testifies to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit evokes faith in Christ. This testimony of God within us gives us assurance that we are saved from his wrath and that we have eternal life. And so the third thing we find in this passage is a belief in this testimony means eternal life. Look with me at verses 11 through 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. 
and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. At the very beginning of this letter, Jesus, Jesus, John writes to the church that eternal life was with the Father from the beginning and that it is revealed in his Son. And the Father gives eternal life to all who are in union with the Son. And so what we find in the Bible, friends, is that eternal life is wrapped up in the Son, tied up with God the Son. There is no salvation apart from Christ, despite what the Rob Bells and the Richard Roars of the world would say. You see this in Acts 4. There is no other name by which men receive life but the name of Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 11, John states that whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The Bible says wide is the path to destruction and many people are following that path. Jesus says that on the last day he will say to many, depart from me, I do not know you. Make no mistakes, friends. All people have fallen short of the glory of God and deserve hell. Every single one of us deserves on our own eternal death. No one is good. All of us have rebelled against God and gone our own way, and only in Christ may we find redemption. There is no other way. This moment, either you are on your way to eternal life with Christ, or you are on your way to a devil's hell, which is eternal death. There is no gray. There is no purgatory. It is life or death situation. My friends, you cannot be indwelled by God's Spirit and enamored by the things of the world. You cannot simultaneously be in Christ and striving after a life of rebellion. Paul writes to the Galatians, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, can't say that word, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, or anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I have warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see that if you are in Christ, you do not practice these things. And we're not calling for perfection. We always want to temper that and say that we're not saying you will never fail, but if you are practicing these things, you have not overcome the world. And overcoming the world and eternal life are only found in Christ. You say, how do I know? Well, John gave us those three tests, did he not? Remember, do you love the church? Do you genuinely desire and seek the good of God's people? Do you love truth? Do you believe what God says in his word? Friends, he gives us those tests. Do you pursue holiness? Do you strive after what the Bible says? Do you seek to mortify sin in your life or do you make excuses for it? Despite what our pluralistic culture claims, there is no salvation outside of Jesus. Only Christ took the punishment 
for our sins. Only Christ is one with the Father and eternally exists. Only through Christ were all things created, and only in Christ do all of the Old Testament promises find their yes and amen. Eternal life is only found in God's Son. It's impossible, my friend, for you to find it elsewhere. And all those who reject Christ in this life will spend eternity in damnation and eternal death in the next. But to those who are in Christ, God has given eternal life. For all those who are in Christ eternally, in eternity, we will finally be completely free from sin. To those who are in Christ, there, there will someday be no more evil, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more betrayal. We will bask in the presence of our Lord. There will be fellowship with loved ones. And that should mean something to us today on Mother's Day when so many have lost mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, maybe children. That one day we will be reunited with believing loved ones and all of the redeemed. I was sharing this with someone this week. I don't remember who, if it was a friend from down south or if it was Alan. But sometimes when things get wonky in the church, I think about that fact that our, our goal is not to please the, the people around us or have a popularity contest now, but to, to please the one who has saved us and that one day all of this stuff will be done. And that one day I'm going to sit down with Charles Spurgeon and be like, man, tell me what it was like to be in London when no one believed their Bibles and you were the bad guy. You know, one day I'm going to sit down with some martyr that is name lost to the history books who was burned for his faith. And I'm going to be like, man, what was it like? And what was it like to, to, to close your eyes for the last time and then walk into the presence of Christ? We're called to be faithful here, but one day all will be made right. In eternity, our desire will no longer be fallen, but rightly fixed on our Savior, Christ. And friends, I promise you, there will be no unfulfilled desires then. I think it's Augustine. I don't know for sure. I didn't have time to look. I know it's in the city of God, the quote I'm looking for, but it's something like this. Augustine says, if God allows even fallen man to enjoy a sunset here on earth, so our sunsets that we have that are beautiful over the waters and the mountains, if, if God allows even fallen rebels to enjoy that, how much more does he have for his children that love him? Friends, it is of paramount importance that you believe the testimony John presents concerning the Christ this morning. Today's passage presents us with three reasons why you must believe this testimony concerning Christ. Belief in the testimony means affirming truth presented by three witnesses. Belief in this testimony means you have the testimony of God within you. And belief in this testimony means eternal life. So how should we live? How should we live in light of this great testimony? Well, friends, I want to lay before you this morning four things that you must do in light of this great testimony, that salvation and eternal life have been won through Christ's eternal atoning death. And they're not from me. The, the writer of the book of Hebrews is very helpful here, and so they come from the book of Hebrews. First, because of this great testimony, 
hold on to the truth of the Christian faith. Hebrews 10.23 says, because of what Christ has done for us, quote, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Any faithful testimony points to truth. And so a faithful testimony, that truth is worth holding. Paul tells Timothy that there's coming a day when men and women will not listen to truth. But having itching ears, what will they do? They'll gather teachers around them that tell them what they want to hear. Friends, I'm not one of these guys that talks about the end times, but I think we're at least there here. We're in a time when people gather around them teachers that tell them what they want to hear, but it's not so for you, Christian. It's not so for you. You are to hold on to the truth of God's word. Jesus states that the indwelling Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth and that God's word is truth. Hold on to it. Hold fast to sound doctrine, which means you need to know sound doctrine. You need to study this. Study the Baptist faith and message. Study your Bible. Know the truths of the scriptures and hold fast to them without wavering. Because of this great testimony, hold on to the truth of the Christian faith. Second, because of this great testimony, commit yourself to the local church. Commit yourself to the local church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Because of what Christ has done for us, that we should, quote, do not neglect to meet together as the body of Christ, as some have done. Ephesians 2.19-22 says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on a foundation of the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. That means as Christians, we are not lone rangers. We don't get to just go and do our own thing. If you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, you should not be comfortable being long apart from your brothers and sisters in Christ, but should covenant together with them. J.I. Packer says the New Testament assumes that all Christians will share in the life of a local church. Meeting for worship, accepting its nurture and discipline, and sharing in the work of witness. Christians disobey God and impoverish themselves by refusing to join with other believers when there is a local congregation they could belong to. So as Christians, we gather together to worship God through the preached word, through singing, through prayer, through the Lord's Supper. We, we gather together for accountability. We gather together for encouragement. We gather together to share the gospel in our community and to send missionaries overseas. It is our calling. Every Christian should belong to a local church. And as a church, together we desire each other's good. Because of this great testimony, Christian, you are to be a regular and an active member of the local church. Third, because of this great testimony, encourage one another to serve the Lord. Hebrews 10.24, in light of what Christ has done, spur one another on to good works. We desire each other's good by spurring one another on to good works. This is so much more than just boosting someone's self-esteem. Our encouragement is not just telling someone how great they are. 
Our, our encouragement is not enabling self-worship, but our encouragement should be to encourage others to go and serve the Lord that died for them. We encourage one another to stay the course in the Lord's service. We spur one another on to use their gifts to serve God. Because every single one of us that is saved has been given a gift. Some of you are good teachers. Some of you are great in hospitality. Some of you use your gifts in music to lead us in worship through song. And some of you have been gifted to turn knobs on soundboards that Pastor Allen would make a mess of. Some of you are just gifted in encouragement itself. You encourage your brothers and sisters to keep on and to fight the good fight. You must use your gifts in the context of the local church and encourage others to use their gifts to serve the Lord for good works. Because we have this great testimony, encourage one another to use your gifts to serve the Lord, but also encourage one another to live a godly lifestyle. So finally... Because of this great testimony, pursue an obedient and godly lifestyle. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We've talked before about the Great Commission. We love the Great Commission. I mean, Jesus says he's with us to the end of the age. And he tells us to go into all the nations, people of every color, every background, and, 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 and tell them the gospel and to make disciples, and to baptize, but we forget that middle part. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You see, we're not just here to make converts, but to make disciples. J.I. Packer says, Repentance means resolving henceforth to seek God's help in keeping His instruction. The Spirit is given to empower us in keeping God's instruction, and to make us more like Christ. For Scripture holds out no hope of any salvation for any who, whatever their profession of faith, do not seek to turn from sin to righteousness. So friends, we are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue righteousness. We are to mortify sin in our life. We are to pursue a holy lifestyle and to honor God and to cultivate those spiritual gifts which he has given us. And Hebrews 3.13 says that we are to exhort one another every day so that no one may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So as Christians, we work on this ourselves, but we encourage and hold each other accountable as well. Sometimes love is calling out sin. The Baptist theologian John Gill said that when discipline leaves a church, Christ goes with it. Jesus said, be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, Luke 17, 3. Paul said, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may, the rest may stand in fear, 1 Timothy 5, 20. He tells Titus, as for the person who stirs up division, warn him twice, then have nothing to do with him for he is warped and sinful. Friends, we don't like it. It's not our favorite thing to do. But as Christians who are obedient, we hold each other accountable. I hold Alan accountable, and he holds me accountable. You all hold me accountable, and you hold each other accountable. 
Because we have this great testimony of what God has done for us, we seek to obey the commands of Scripture. We seek to pursue a holy lifestyle. We seek to hold each other accountable. And so, friend, this morning, ask yourself, do I desire to hold on to this truth? Do I desire to pursue holiness? And do I desire to love God's people as the Bible says I'm to love them? Because if not, I would humbly lay before you that you need to do what the Bible says to do and repent and believe the gospel. That is what our testimony is about this morning. Jesus Christ, our atoning Savior. John Stott wrote, Christianity is Christ. Who Christ is and what he has done are the rock upon which the Christian religion are built. And so we must believe this true Christ. Not the Christ of our imagination, not the Christ that we prefer, but the Christ of the Bible. The Jesus Christ who is both fully God and fully man. He is fully God in that he is eternally existent. There is never a time in which Christ does not exist. And there never will be a time in which he does not exist. He was always God. He will always be God. He never did lay aside his divine nature, and he does not change, and he does not evolve. But he is eternally the same. But he was also fully man, is also fully man. He came to earth 2,000 years ago as a man. He was born of a virgin. He had a mother named Mary, an earthly mother. The Holy Spirit came upon her so that he was born holy, as Luke tells us. He was Emmanuel, as Matthew 1 tells us. He is God with us. He did not give up his divinity and come merely man, but he is God with us. Fully God, fully man. And any religion that does not have a Jesus that is both, whatever it may be, it is not Christianity. And Jesus lived a perfect life. Being fully God, he was without sin. He lived a life that you and I can never But being fully man, he could stand in as our substitute. The punishment that I deserve, he could stand in my place because he is a man. And he bore the wrath of a holy and a just God that I deserve on the cross. All of that wrath. And he was buried in a tomb, in Joseph's tomb. And on the third day, that tomb was found empty. And not just empty, but Christ was alive. That's what we celebrated. That's what the kids were saying. He is risen in Greek just a few weeks ago. We celebrate the fact that Christ walked out of that tomb, and not just in some spiritual sense, but he ate fish with his disciples, and they felt of his his skin, of his wounds, and then he ascended to the Father, and he is there now, fully God, fully man, advocating for his bride, the church. Friend, have you believed in this Christ today? Have you believed in this Jesus of the Bible? Because the eternal life that we have talked about this morning, he offers freely to you. You may not earn it. You cannot earn it. But you have to do what the Bible says and repent and believe. Believe who he says he is and repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself. As the brother was saying in equipping hour this morning before he was a Christian, uh, something about the junkyard that the world offers, you got to turn from that junkyard and turn to Christ. 
turn to Christ. And once he has replaced that heart of stone with a heart of flesh, then you have the indwelling spirit. Then you desire to pursue holiness. Then you can truly love the church, and then you have that promise of eternal life. That is what we see this morning. The purpose of this testimony is that you may believe, and the result of this gift is faith, a changed life, eternal life with Christ. You must believe this testimony today. Father, we praise your name. You are a good and gracious and merciful God. God, that you sent your son to die on the cross. And Father, I pray for those here this morning who have not believed this. God, I pray you would grant them no rest until they would turn to you.